Hi, and welcome to the Wealthy Wednesday podcast with me, Dave Drimmy. In this podcast, I give you ideas, insights, information, and inspiration to help you achieve your potential in business and in life. So let's get stuck into this week's show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wealthy Wednesday podcast with me, Dave Drimmy. And I'm really, really excited this week. Our guest this week is Emma Marriott, and she's a friend of mine. Um, she's based in Scotland and is just fantastic. She's got a wealth of experience when it comes to creating high-performance teams. And I'm just going to introduce you right here, right now. So, Emma, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm absolutely delighted. Emma, you've got such a wealth of um, experience. It's kind of knowing where to begin, but but I think you had a, a, a terrific career with uh, with one company, Contract Scotland, and I'm really, really interested because it's very relevant to what you do today to help organisations create high-performance teams and create strategy in everything you do. But basically, could you take us back to how you got involved with Contract Scotland? Absolutely. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago, as it does for most people often, but um, I started working with Contract Scotland in 1997. It was my first job from university uh, where I studied law and uh, I worked for an architectural practice who one of the chaps in there has said, well, you know, we, we've looked at this recruitment company, maybe you should join them. I was a temp uh, working with the, the firm. So applied to the advert, joined thinking this would, you know, use all my employment law experience. And lo and behold, I found it was more of a sales consultancy type job as my naivety. So I started on a journey with them as a graduate recruitment consultant, identifying temporary and permanent staff for the wider construction industry in Scotland. And that could be anything from graduate site engineers to quantity surveyors up to directors. And I found a niche in permanent recruitment and I really enjoyed the detail in identifying the skills that companies needed to make sure the company was elevated. Sometimes they really were just looking to fill a gap. Other times it was more strategic in their thinking about how they were going to uh, elevate their own company, what kind of work they were going after, so looked for a different skill type. And I used to really enjoy working with those companies, really quite detailed at a level of really finding the very perfect person for them. So I worked with them and there was a couple of us in the, the business and we were like a startup to some regard because um, it was three of us and then moved on to four or five and I was fortunate enough to work with a founder who empowered me, gave me a lot of decision-making ability and then took the business from a couple of million turnover to 20 million. I think it was 21 million wow. on my exit. So the business grew, grew from you know quite a small business in Scotland and then we started to develop other um, vertical markets so we went into housing we went into building civil engineering local authorities and I loved it I loved working in recruitment I loved working with quite a different sector of society where different types of businesses different industries but all with the common principle of being within construction and then we moved into Australia New Zealand Canada where we'd take people from Scotland internationally at a time when the market wasn't particularly buoyant in Scotland but the, the biggest learning curve came from developing our own people and those people in the journey. So obviously you've got your twin kind of look of servicing your candidates who are looking for jobs and your clients who are looking for staff. 
but also growing your own business at a time to make sure we were capturing all those opportunities. So that was the the big part for me because I think we went from three staff to, well, it was 43 staff when I did my exit in 2019. So that was, you know, it was a big, um, big team at the time. We didn't have any HR or legal. We did everything our, ourselves. So you have to wear a, a number of hats. What you're sharing here is absolutely fascinating because when, when I think about um, recruitment consultants, many don't have the, the, the experience you've got. Mm. Many do it in a very, very poor way. Mm-hmm. But your experience of actually growing a business all the way up to managing director, dealing with the internal clients, i.e. your own teams as well as the yes. external clients, I find it absolutely fascinating because that must be part of what, what you've done, part of your experience in learning how to create a culture of growth, for example. And right here today, in particularly in post, post-pandemic situation, I think it's really, really relevant because I'm hearing time after time after time, oh, I can't find people, there's nobody in my sector, there's nobody good enough, et cetera, et cetera. Is, is that just like a time-old record? No, I don't actually. I think we're in quite a unique situation, actually, just now. Um, we... In the 20-odd years that I worked in recruitment consultancy world, there was definitely trends where you would go up and down following the curve of recession, unfortunately. Like, you know, I can, my standout time would be 2006-07 was an actual boom time where there was more job, of, more job vacancies than there was people, similar to now. But you could see that that was just you know a good, wealthy, strong economy. Then obviously we went to 2007. The world seemed to fall apart till 2008-09 where we get more of a balance of, of quite a number of jobs, one in the recovery point, good number of people. But then also we got that brain drain because there was a lot, an awful lot of people not entering construction. You know, in the 2007 time, they don't see it as a career of choice. And then it comes to 2015 and you can't find the people you're actually looking for because they've never entered the market at that point in time. So we get the difficulties of the push-pull but now I think we've found we've we've not got a particularly buoyant economy at the moment for a whole host of reasons. But yet we've still got a massive dearth of job roles that are open that we can't fill. And yes, the uh, the employment rate is high. We've been I think there's been information out today that wage increases have been at a record level than they have ever before. But there is definitely the candidates and the employees in the market are probably have more demands and more expectations than they ever have before. And I think that we are not necessarily as employers going out to find the right people where they're hanging out and giving them the type of culture, platform, environments where people will thrive. So culture is really, really important. And Absolutely. you mentioned the word thrive. Mm-hmm. and. A lot of the time I hear, oh, I need 20 bums on seats and that kind of thing. And that's a red flag to me um, in Absolutely. what I do with companies. So I'm, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for organizations that are willing to spend a little bit of time on the, the culture and, you know, creating a place, particularly now where people are, they feel happy in, in moving there. Is, would you say that's, that's an important factor? Absolutely. And bear in mind, I think the average candidate has got a better window into organisations than we've ever had before through social media, internet websites, uh, word of mouth, Glassdoor. There's all these organisations and platforms that are set up to give us insight into what it's like working with a particular company or what the opportunities are like. 
So the culture part is extremely important for many people. I think perhaps you and I maybe worked in an environment where we would have to, you know, stomach environments that maybe weren't to our taste, but we saw it as an opportunity with job security. I think there's most, well, not most, that would be unfair. Many employees are a bit less tolerant of toxic environments or bad practices. And the market is telling them there's other opportunities out there. So why would they not look into those areas? And I think that's usually companies who have sold a dream, but actually when we join them, we don't see the dream at all. And actually it's fragmented. People don't communicate. There's no regular communication. There's no meeting format. There's no exchange of ideas. There's a lack of innovation. And I think organisations think it's all about the attraction, get them in and they'll be fine when we're here. But if people don't see that authentic journey, if they don't see actually what you're delivering when I'm getting in here, they, they will very quickly become disengaged and move away. So that culture piece isn't just about, I've seen so many organisations talk about putting their people first and they're all about the people. But the reality when they're in the door, no, they're not quite, they're maybe the second or third priority. And if people feel that they're second or third priority, they will disengage very quickly at the moment. That's fascinating, actually. And there's, there's some, some of the research I've been doing recently, Emma, and you may correct me on this one, but mm. a lot of people um, basically, in, in my understanding, are leaving companies to find maybe a toxic environment, yeah. to find a company that matches their core values, Absolutely. but they're using the money as an excuse to get out of a situation. And along with that, there's the obviously there's the great resignation as well, mm-hmm. where you've got people, particularly when the pandemic came along, people going, why did I drive an hour and a half each way to do a 12-hour day? Yes. And I can stay at home, get a bit of, bit of balance. So mm-hmm. on the first point, are you, are you seeing similar signs where maybe – people are just looking for an ideal place to they could call home yeah so i think there's there's a, there's several things with that since leaving contract scotland i've been fortunate to have enough to work with a whole within a whole host of different industries so i've, I've held some positions within with contractors and house builders also with um, another recruitment firm i'm now in working in higher education I've worked um, with smaller marketing firms and looking at all these different types of people, it's it's understanding what those applicants' motivators are is one of the first things I would say. I think you to have diverse teams, and diversity is a, few, a huge factor just now, and I mean diversity of thought, I think we do have to focus on what individuals, uh, what their needs are, what will keep them motivated and understand if as an employer, you can match those motivations. So it's about that values piece that you talked about. So some people are motivated to join a company because it is because it's better money and they will sacrifice working long hours because the money is there. And I think an honest exchange of what you're looking for, what your needs are in that employee-employer relationship is something to really hone in on. I think there's other people who are looking to do you know, a good job, but want to get away at five o'clock every night because they've got maybe um, caring responsibilities for elderly parents or children, but will do a fantastic job. Some people are at the early part of their career and are looking for you know, a, a career trajectory, a pathway uh, in front of them. And can you actually offer that pathway to people or will you just take them for two or three years on the journey and then maybe wish them on their, on their merry way? 
I think understanding what people are motivated by and if you can actually, I suppose, satisfy that need from both parts, I think is part of that transaction and that early part of the um, in the recruitment process. Fantastic. So I'm guessing if I, if I was an employer, I've got to be very, very specific on a job description. Mm-hmm. I, my ideal target market, is it, you know, somebody that's a grad, is it somebody, you know, I'm a QS, I was tw- yes. quantities for over 20 yes. odd years. Um, and basically when it actually comes down to it, yeah. So um, ultimately you've got to define exactly who you want. Mm-hmm. On that one, I, I um, my final job as a QS was a chief QS for a house building company mm-hmm. and a recruitment company, you know, basically took me into that company. I had no house building experience and I talked my way into the job. I wasn't qualified for that job. And ultimately I had commercial experience, but it wasn't the right experience for that sector. Mm. And it wasn't a good experience for me. And I'm certain it wasn't a good experience for my for my employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just ended up parting ways. Yeah. But thankfully it happened at that time because it took me on an entrepreneurial journey to where I am today, which is brilliant. But finding the right, it's, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? It's finding the right piece to build a high-performance team. You're bang on. I think to the comment you made about that bums-on-seat comment, that some I don't know how many times I would have heard, oh, i just seen a bum on a seat. And I think that's a, that's a person with a pulse that has motivations, that has needs. And I'm not saying you have to give satisfy every one of their needs by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, none of us would like to be called a bum on a seat. None of us would like that. Absolutely. We need to change that terminology. I think I understand the essence of I need good workers to deliver a good project and I might need them in volume. I understand that for peaks and troughs of workflows and projects, that requires a different outlook on recruitment. But they're still individuals and I think we need to look at that. And to the notion that then often then part of the recruitment process that becomes problematic is that we've not defined the need we think, oh, well, Dave's left. I just need someone else like Dave. Or actually, Dave's left. He was pretty good as commercial, but I need him to have more civil engineering experience. So find me someone that was like Dave with civil engineering experience, rather than the beauty of going, right, where am I looking to take my company? What are our needs? Who are our stakeholders? What kind of environment are we actually offering? What kind of person would add something to our team that we don't have in the team at the moment? And that scoping out of the role and defining it is really the key to making everything else do well. And it's often the part that people leave to one side or you say, I've got a need and someone else might say, oh, I know somebody. And they go, oh, great. He knows somebody. Brilliant. That'll sort it out without actually establishing, well, who is he and what's his needs and what is he looking for? And will he be actually the right fit? And there is a bit of an art to that. It's not It's not rocket science. I say this all the time. It's not rocket science, but it is detailed. And when you miss parts of the process, often the process goes awry and you've not identified the right person for your business. Mm-hmm. And I think at Contract Scotland in particular, I think that's where we were really good. We identified the right people for our business. We didn't compromise on our values. We didn't look at, um, we, we didn't have a sales model. We weren't commission orientated. So we need a different type of recruiter and we wouldn't do that. Now I'm working in head, um, further education, higher education. There is a different outlook altogether. But again, we've really got to get to the detail of what is going to make this type of university's person skilled and suitable for them against a competing university. And it's not the same. You know, it's not every lecturer does not look the same. Every marketing person doesn't look the same. 
and also I need to attract other people from other sectors to come into this one too. But it's all the day about the definition of that need. Emma, this is absolutely amazing information. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think it, 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 you mentioned the, the, the education sector, further education sector, or 21st century learning, I think it's yes. also called as well. But you've got a wealth of commercial uh, experience. Mm. And my understanding, having worked as in both business development, selling into the education sector in construction and um, that was way before my consulting and coaching time mm-hmm. after my QSing, but also in the QSing side of things, it just the commercial side of things and the further education, the mindset appears to be quite different. So in your role in terms of you know a high-performance uh, team builder mm-hmm. and building culture, help me understand a little bit about um, what you're doing in the sector, because I'm sure uh, there'll be people listening to the show that'll be really fascinated, the difference between commercial and uh, and working in, in public sector or uh, yeah, further so, education? So one of the things I've seen so far, and it's something you and I have touched on, it's it's all about communication. It's all about how different departments communicate together and what, they, what their needs are, um, whether that's being commercial needs, whether that is um, learning and development needs, whether that is giving a service to a student body where we find a lot and similarly within a contractor who are talking about how we make ourselves more attractive to um, a different type of client it's, it's all very similar it's our employer value proposition how we make what is attractive about us what makes our company unique or our organization unique what practices and systems do we have in play that actually can set us aside from our competitors um, the, the two strain, the two strands I tend to look at are that communication piece. How do we collaborate with each other? What do we talk about internally? What's our external voice? The other part, I think, is around the organisation, the systems and the structure. And that's where we feel that culture piece coming alive. So I think in some of the smaller startups, there isn't obviously any legacy to work with and you're creating that and you're creating your ways and you're probably making some mistakes along the way. And that's all good. You learn from it. In the bigger organisations, you're finding there's a lot of history and legacy of the way we do things around here. And it is unpicking some of those practices and some of those siloed ways of working. So we're collaborating together to find the right people. So I think now I'm working with about 10 or 20 departments to actually recruit people, but it's understand the voice. Whereas other smaller companies, it's you know, you're probably working MD to MD and they are working out what they need, how they're going to need it. So, um, yeah, the, the, the similarities are definitely around communication and systems and procedures. Wow, very, very cool. I'm actually meeting a client um, tomorrow, mm-hmm. which is a new client, and we're going to be going through um, basic uh, one-page strategic plan, as yeah. in strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and trends. Mm-hmm. But the next part of that is all about core values and then after that is why are you wanting to grow the business? You know, what's your big vision? In terms of what you're doing at the moment and, and with the companies you work with, how important are core values and vision in helping a team to see clearly and be in alignment, if you like, with, with, with the direction? How important are, are those key factors? Yeah, so important. And I think 
where I, if I feel I'm going to be successful, I need to understand what that vision, and if there is a high-level vision, then I can put people in place to make sure they're aligning themselves to that vision. I think you're right, where they don't have that vision or strategy or you know, big aim, it becomes very difficult to put some of the culture pieces in place or start thinking about the type of people we want or how we're propose how we are showcasing ourselves as an employer of choice becomes really difficult when it's not got that you know overarching umbrella and sometimes i'm involved with those companies like you of helping to develop that sometimes it's around moving that strategy around a little bit i think we've found for for me working in the the team teams most recently that have done is working within their recruitment teams has making sure that every aspect of their candidate journey client client journey or hiring manager journey aligns to that big target so or a big strategy so if that is around you know we want to ensure we've got an open culture or a very people progressive business it's looking at each of our practices that are what is progressive in the market? What does new and shiny look like? Is that about automation? Is that about um, who we pull in from different departments? Is that about cross-collaboration? Um, it's got to be linked back. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we're, we're all human. We all work in our own way, in our own silos, but it's allowing yourself to take your head above the parapet for a little bit and say, okay, what are we doing now? What could we do better? Who do we need to tell? What budget might make that might might we need? What actions should we take that will allow us to align to that big goal up there? Hmm. Key performance indicators are obviously a way of measuring. Yeah. So for for me, um, uh, with a bias towards marketing and sales and bringing on new clients, mm-hmm. we go through a process of bringing in great clients. It's it's not just right. Let's go to the superstore and buy one. It, it's not that easy. It takes time to build and develop relationships. I see the same thing with bringing on an excellent hire. It's not going to happen overnight, yeah. but if we do it effectively, it is going to happen over time. And this one, one very successful gentleman in Edinburgh, and um, the the owner of the business took eight years wow. to get that gentleman on board. And wow. he completely, you'll know him by the way. Mm-hmm. And he eight years, and finally one day with the regular contacts. This person just went, yep, I'm coming. And that's amazing. Now, I'm not saying everyone takes eight years, but I think businesses maybe need to look a bit further into the distance to make sure they get the right people instead of somebody who breathes. Now, the reason I talk about that, coming back to KPIs, Mm -hmm. how can an organization measure culture? Is there anything that we can do, that you could do to help an organization to, to kind of measure the the culture level if you know in, in in business we've got maybe a net promoter score out there but what about culture internally is there anything we can do yeah so often the thing and the companies i've worked with before have been quite open about um their attrition rates so what has been their churn of staff so i think with the business i ran i think it was around about eight to ten percent and that was that was seen to be good and i think in comparison to other recruitment consultancies they would sit about at least 30 percent plus so 30 percent churn and you can see then the brain drain that comes away from your organization and it indicates well why are people leaving what's the big problem in there so i think you need to look at and i've been really honest and look at your attrition rate how many people are you you losing per year how many people are you bringing on board what does that actually look like one of the things i often do with organizations is look at their exit surveys 
what trends are coming out from their exit surveys. Are people saying they're leaving because they're looking for something closer to home? So therefore, could you operate more uh, hybrid working, for example? Are people saying constantly, well, I'm leaving because it's not well enough paid? Okay, can you do something about that or not? Not every organisation can through budgets. But then I think you're looking for more of the nuances around, you know, I wasn't empowered or I didn't feel there was anywhere to go or I didn't like the environment. And it's that those areas and those trends we're looking to drill down on is what did they mean by that? And we, I never like to go to assumptions because everybody's different, obviously, as well. And some people will tolerate more than others as well. So that's something to look at. But you can start building a picture of trends. And if you're not doing that already and capturing what your employees are saying about you on the exit and make sure it's comfortable and make sure it's open. Um, and also you don't have to wait till they leave. Do that at your appraisal time. Do that at your, you know, your biannual performance reviews it's got to be about their buy-in to you with an organization. How are they feeling? Are they feeling um, motivated? Are they engaged working with you? I think you can often tell, I know that that's, doesn't sound very formulaic, but you can tell in organisations where people are happy, where they're sharing ideas, where they're giving more um, and want to convey their ideas or whether they're just asked to and they're coasting along and their sales figures are not showing the growth. I think when people were happy in our team, and I'm not saying they were happy all the time, but when people were happy that team, we had a growth plan. We know everybody knew where the fitted within the, the the company piece you know i i like to think that people understood what their job purpose was what they were going to do and what good looked like so they had their own kpis and if they were achieving what they wanted to achieve then then we did as an organization so it, it came together we always i would always say you know do the right thing good things will happen when you do the right thing cut the corners and you know take the edges away we won't get the result that we're looking for so yeah we, we tend to focus on from a culture perspective these are the kind of indicators we'd look for churn movement survey results and start to look about you know where people have progressed are they sitting in the same job for a long period of time are they moving on it's okay i'm not saying it's not a bad thing to stay in the same job for 10 years but is that because they've got nowhere to go or is that because they're just treading water? You, you mm. can want to control that to some extent. I think progression is so important as a human being. Um, millionaire friend, friend of mine, oh gosh, 20 years ago said, David, people are either green and growing or ripe and rotten. There is no middle ground. And I've always, always, always remember that. And I'm, you know, I've got books galore all over the place. I love meeting people. I love learning from people like yourself. But within a business, if there's stasis, that can't be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd like to think there's a place for everybody in an organisation. And I often talk about if there's skill and will, then you're on to a good thing. And I mean, will to drive change, will to want to do the best they can, will to make a difference, um, will to turn up every day and do a good enough job, I think is fine. And you've got the skill, the ability to actually do the job effectively. I think the when you get the people who are maybe at status quo, it's, it's making sure that they are not becoming um, an aggravator or detracting from the people who have got the, the skill and the will. I think it's fine if people you know, who are doing, you know, turning up, doing a good job, you know, a good enough job day in day. You need that blend of people within an organisation. I do believe you, 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 you need a little bit of everybody to do well. 
I think knowing who those people are and making sure they you are addressing their motivators is part of the, the key to that. If those people are open with you and are saying, you know, I'm here, I'm doing well enough, I'm doing a good enough job, and you know that and you reward accordingly, I think that's okay. I find that fascinating, actually. And just kind of going back slightly to somebody who's been in a position for a long time, mm-hmm. skill, will, if you can continually help them, you know, having conversations, regular yeah. diagnosis of how can we help you improve what you're doing? Oh, I saw this course. This would be beneficial. Investigate is the right thing. Will it benefit the company, not just the individual? Mm-hmm. And I think then we can help those people continue to grow. And because I heard a statistic a while back, may or may not be right, but it was uh, a bad hire will cost 15 times first year salary by mm-hmm. the time you figure out, you know, people helping them out, the onboarding, the time taken to make sure they're in the right place. Is 15 times too heavy or what What multiplier and yeah, and would you think the bad would be? And you're right. Over the years, I've looked at that, about what would that, what's that figure look like? And I think there's a number of anomalies with it. I mean, it depends on the seniority of the, of the person, the time to hire period. You know, there's a big aspect to that as well. I've heard it be you know, 10 times the first month's salary, for example. But I think when we looked at something on average, I think it was around about between about a bad hire, if they were going within three months, could be about 30 grand. Now, nobody's going to lose 30 grand. That could be the employer's employee's salary, you know, for the year, quite frankly. But again, for all the facets you've said, who you've engaged, where you've advertised, what digital campaign have you done, what social media campaign have you done, who created the artwork, everything, or a recruitment agency, obviously, as well. It can be so bad, but the detriment of bringing someone in who doesn't work out and the PR of that is often the worst bit because and I've worked with companies recently who have talked about, oh, we had somebody in that and then they left after three months and they weren't the right fit. You can see them grimacing that we got that wrong. You know, we're actually the HR team and we hired the wrong people. And then one, it's good that they confess that because it isn't. I don't want to judge them. I want to go, well, why? Why is it that was the wrong person? What was it that you missed? What didn't we test at the interview phase that could have actually indicated to us this was the wrong hire? And a lot of the time, people just go on a, let's hope for the best. And I think what I'm trying to say is if you get the detail right of what you need, what's going to be successful, what would a successful person look like, we can take away that guesswork we can and we can test ourselves and we can bring people in that if you're just willing the person to be good bring someone in who's you know got a self-interest think nah i don't want to bring this person on you know and find out the reasons not to hire the, the person yep. if you think you're the people pleaser and think oh well i just love that person that'll be fine take yourself out the recruitment process if you're too vested if you're thinking oh this person would solve all my problems you're maybe not the right person to do the interview. Um, you maybe need a different complement of that interview as well. Absolutely. And and for me, I think it's multiple interviews. It's not you're breathing, yeah. you're hired. Yes. And um, for, for me, almost, I, I firmly believe in trying almost like a core values mm-hmm. kind of interview. And then you can maybe start talking about skill sets and then you can migrate on. So if you begin with core values, you find the right people, and you can always train skill sets as yes. long as somebody's got the will, as you talked mm-hmm. about earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, um, Emma, the 
the aspect of when, when you can bring the right people in and they stay for a good long period of time, it, Im- it improves the business, it improves that family atmosphere, that culture, also hugely cuts the recruitment costs, et cetera, as well. Absolutely. I think in terms of helping our uh, colleagues working in an organisation to improve, if we can continually get them growing, I think that's really, really powerful yes. for the business, the organisation, the entire culture. Um, there's a... Uh, Actually, um, just uh, two, two weekends ago, I was at a 60th um, birthday party um, and the daughter's boyfriend was there. And he's in, um, in a new company in Dundee. He's been there six months and he was just recently promoted quickly up to warehouse manager. And the culture, it's a pharmaceutical company, multinational, mm-hmm. but the whole culture is amazing. They encourage their staff during working hours to take a 30-minute walk. Brilliant. They're into kindness. They've got healthy meals. There's, um, there's, there are chefs within the within the 150 people in this location, but they're all encouraged to look after themselves. And this young man, 32, 32 years old, six months there, says he never wants to leave. I mean, that's fantastic. That I mean, every employer would want to feel like that. Oh. And you're right, what they've done there is look at the individual journey. How do people, how do we want our people to feel? We want them to feel that they're, they should get a break. They should be able to reframe in the day. We should have half an hour to, to set ourselves up. Um, I think there's organisations out there, particularly some of the ones I've been working with just now, that say, oh, we're all about health and well-being, but actually don't take your break. Sit and have your lunch at your desk. And if you're not, why, why are you not sitting at your desk having lunch? And I think we've still got a little bit of that presenteeism, dare I say, old school traditional mentality of what hard work looks like. And th- that pharmaceutical company is doing things right. And looking at other benefits and other things that organisations are doing now around you know, shared parental leave, normalising that you know both partners, both parents take time off. These are progressive things, not putting a policy in place and saying oh look we've got this lovely shared parental scheme don't ask for it you know your wife's going to take the time off these are practices that i've seen of organizing saying well we do all these nice things but not actually living and breathing it and it's down to the leadership to make sure they're emulating those policies some of the better law practices out there are offering nine day fortnights and it's the partners who are making sure they're taking the nine days not because they're on the golf course on the 10th day, on their day off, but actually to showcase the next generation that this is how we want you to work. Wellbeing, health and wellbeing is more important now than it's ever been before. Um, Many people in the generation, certainly mine and above me, have probably had burnout, have never taken a time to have half an hour away from their desk, haven't looked at these practices, haven't, you know, have worked up and down the M8M9 for hours at a time. And people are just not going to tolerate that. You mentioned that earlier on. Why did I sit in the car for that long? And it's up to us as employers now to think, okay, why would people want to come and work for us? How can we look after people? What makes our organisation sticky? What makes people want to come and work for us rather than working for the company down the road? Wow, so powerful. And there are obviously there's talk of four day weeks and what have you, but there's a, a company um, up um, near Perth where I used to live, and they I just saw this week they are trialling a six month four and a half day week. So literally one o'clock on a Friday, construction Great. company, Great. they're done, empty car park, and um, you'll know Stephen up there as well, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I I think that's 
fabulous. I hope the trial goes well, because that just shows a level of caring, which in an industry in construction, which where you and I both come from, mm-hmm. you know, the mental health and, uh, you know, the mental health challenges that are involved in that are absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can do our best to care and and take it out into, and learn from other industries. Yes. We're doing it correctly, then maybe construction has got a chance moving forward. So I think you're right. I mean, the the suicide rate, sadly, amongst men within construction is you know scarily high, and I think there's organisations that you know there's a lot to be done, and there is other companies in construction doing really good things to make sure they address behaviours, practices, whether it be around meal, nutrition, how they look after themselves, in work, out work to ensure they've got good, strong mental health and resilience. It can be a hard work industry to work in. I love it and have loved it, but I can see where there there's problems. And maybe that is around that, you know, that cultural piece that we look at about what is actually the practices within our organisation. Fantastic. So you've been incredibly generous with your time. Just before we finish off this show today, um, and thank you, there's been such a wealth of information you've shared. Before we finish up today, if if somebody wanted you to come in and help them, If you could, in in kind of a short format style, kind of bullet point style, how can you help an organisation? What what can you do for an organisation, whether it be further education or private practice or web design, whatever they might be? What 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 are the first things um, you would be saying to uh, somebody who's inquiring, maybe after the show, to 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 ask you to come and work with them? So typical companies who. I've worked with have come to me saying um, my people aren't very good I can't get the right people I don't know what's wrong with them and we're a great company and I just want to hire better people and so I generally do a review of what their people practices are whether that could be who they have got in their team already what their organizational design and structure is that looks like from a communications, what systems they use in order to develop people, attract people. We then look at their whole recruitment function, if that is you know, a person or a process that might be, and then we start to go through, well, what do you currently do at the moment? What would you like to do? And then what practices we can put in place in order to attract the type of staff they want to. And that might be, it's actually about how they uh, talk about themselves in the market, more often than not, there are some problems under the bonnet that we need to solve. Um, and that could be commercial pipelines, could be sales, could be around their credit control. There could be a whole host of issues that's stopping them getting the right type of staff for their business. So a lot of the time it's the problem identification, giving it a review and solving the problems. Got it. So identifying the problems within the organisation when it comes to the people function, the prize that they're actually after, and then the obstacles in between. Um, Because it's the obstacles in between that create tension. They want an outcome. They want results. We all want results. But we've got to go back to basics and look at, well, what are the problems? Why is that happening? What's the symptom of this? You know, what's the source? What's the cost Mm -hmm. if you don't do it correctly? And and ultimately, what the consequences? So that's hugely powerful. Thank you very much for sharing that. If somebody listening to the show they want to get hold of you, what's the best way to get hold of you, Emma? Oh, that's terrible because now you're going to ask about a website, and I don't have one either. So you can get me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm Emma Marriott, and I'm under Emma Marriott Consulting. 
and um, you can reach me by email uh, address as well. And it's not too difficult uh, to find online. Fantastic. So what, what's what's the best email address if somebody wants to get hold of you? e.marriotteh10 at gmail.com. I've never got to the point, Dave, where I have set up my nice uh, slick uh, email address, so apologies for that. But people often find me, and I've been busy for three and a half years, so I'm doing okay. Emma, if I'm going to let you into a little secret here, I don't have a website either because <laughs> it's just – but that's being rectified in the next three to four weeks um, just because people, uh, they just look for an online presence. That's the way it is. But it just shows how highly qualified you are with your 22 years of experience growing a company into multi-millions as a managing director. Yeah. And then, Moving out into the brave world, starting up by yourself, starting up Emma Marriott Consulting, which I'm mm-hmm. sure people will be able to find you that way, yes. and then looking on LinkedIn, Emma Marriott, and your your surname is M A R R I O T T. Indeed, like the hotel. Sadly, no air, oh, but you know. there we go. <laughs> Five star quality. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Five star quality. So. Emma, listen, before we finish, when it comes to creating culture and hiring five-star employees, if there was one golden nugget you could share with us and, and the listeners today, what, what would that one golden nugget be? I think ensuring your leadership is um, all talking a similar language. People are individuals, particularly at the top, and they should impress upon um, their skills and behaviours to their staff. But I think you have to have a real understanding of a shared vision and a a shared way of doing things. I think if organisations let bad behaviours go, particularly at that senior point, people can quickly tune out of their belief and faith within an organisation. So make sure your leadership is tight, that they are living and breathing the core values, that bad practices are addressed um, fairly quickly, robustly, but in a respectful manner, and then make sure that the big strategy, the big goals you have is clear, is able for all your staff to understand and make sure those staff know what part they play in achieving that strategy. One last point on that one then. How important is a regular team meeting rhythm and how often should they be happening? I mean, this this is honestly one of the questions that gets asked the most, I would say, Dave. So depends on where you are within a change curve, I would say. Some of the organisations might be going through big periods of change. They're ripping up the, the way that they, or they're ripping up the way they do business, or they're changing their uh, proposition, or they're going into a new market. I think that needs a lot more regular discussion. And it might be with checks and breaks and updates within an operational team level. I think, by and large, this sort of symptom, the, the systems that I used to work with, would be regular leadership teams. And those from those leadership meetings should be actions, points for each of those leaders to disseminate to their managers, team leads, whatever it might be, operational staff. If those are senior consultants or managers, that they make sure it goes to the next layer. And then anything that comes out from the operational staff gets fed back into that leadership loop again. So there's a constant stream of information and flow and use the appropriate channels, whether that be Teams, whether it's online, whether it's in person, but don't negotiate, don't put them to one side. You don't say they're going to be every week and then just go, oh, well, it's monthly. Make sure if they're putting anything to one side that it's we're explaining the reason why. And if you need to add in more, explain why as well. I think people just need to know 
when they're going to meetings, what is this for? What part do I play in the meeting? What should I expect to get away from it? I think when we put meetings in for meeting's sake, people disengage very quickly, but make sure people know their part that they have in their meeting. Tell them what you're expecting, set agendas, even if it's for small meetings, the agenda is to discuss you know, sales with you know, X university. As long as people know what they're going for, I think that you tend to get the best out of people. Outstanding. And for me personally, when I'm working with clients, I, I favour, you know, um, a weekly meeting, yep. 15, 20, maximum 30 Absolutely. minutes, agenda. You say, you, would you would you be the same? Absolutely. Um, we've had things that have been more around in here recently have been more around innovation. So they've been a bit longer and it's been with different people from different types uh, of the department. And that's great. But we're only going to do that for a two month period and it's going to be once a week. We're not going to have those same meetings, you know, every week for the sake of it. But then with operational staff, we're saying to them, well, you actually need to meet at least once a week and at least 40 minutes. And actually, we're going to dictate some of your agenda because we want you to discuss this and bring it back to us, bring your findings back to us. So I think having, again, organisation around that, having good governance about what meetings are taking place. If you're a leader in a business, you kind of want to have half an idea of what people are doing and when they're doing it not to be involved in every meeting but what is the purpose is it really valuable is it a value add and if it's not bringing anything out cut those meetings off absolutely fantastic and just in just in closing off i think uh, there's that uh, acronym you know team together mm-hmm. everyone achieves more and yes. in terms of creating high performance teams when we think about maybe olympic rowing teams they're all rowing in the same stroke yes. and i think as businesses we need to do the same particularly now as we as we're moving forward, and um, Emma, I can't thank you enough. Thank you very very much. And again, uh, we can find you on LinkedIn. That's Emma Marriott, and that's I believe it's high performance coaching. Is that correct? Well, no, I, I, you know, I think it's not. I don't know if I would call myself a coach or a consultant. I think most of the times I'm engaged uh, as a consultant, and I think the, the the ways that I've been engaged or how I've been looked at have Brilliant. probably differed a little. But yeah, it's definitely around the consulting space. Outstanding. Thank you so much for being a wonderful, wonderful guest. And uh, folks, if you choose to get in touch with with Emma, LinkedIn's a great way. Um, that's how uh, we originally met. And um, just begin a relationship. I mean, we, we need to remember that LinkedIn is about relationships. And as you've heard today, Emma has a wealth of experience commercially and as a managing director will be a huge asset because she will she'll come into your business. She'll be able to look at your P&L. She'll be able to look at, you know, is there an issue when it actually comes to recruitment costs, et cetera. So she's the real deal. I'm so delighted to have her on the show. So as we move forward, we're going to have some other amazing guests in this in this line. It's fantastic. So basically, it's about your people. If you want to scale and grow, it's about your people. So uh, Emma, thank you so, so much for coming and joining us today. It's been fabulous. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Wednesday podcast with me, Dave Drimmy. Check the show notes below for further details on this week's episode, including links to resources mentioned in the show. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you'll find us on Apple, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. See you next week.